You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Today's message comes from Shane Shaddix, pastor for discipleship at Imago Dei Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a, a joy to get to be with you today. It's really just a, a privilege. So I just want to start off expressing thanks and uh, gratitude to you guys for um, the opportunity, to your pastors for entrusting the pulpit to me. And, um, and then, yeah, just the, the partnership we get to have in the gospel together. It's really, um, really encouraging, I think, from, um, from my vantage point to have been and to continue to be a part of the church that gets to um, receive and, and train up and, and then send out uh, brothers and sisters. And it's just fun to think about the fact that, that this church was birthed out of a, a group of people that were members of Imago Dei Church where we were at and came up here. And, and now uh, we've kind of been able to, to be the incubator and the former uh, and then the sender and launcher and now partners with you guys in gospel ministry. And um, I, I, it's it's not false humility to just acknowledge like we don't have all of this figured out down in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's not like you guys are getting caught up to anything. And I trust you guys don't have it all figured out yet in Baltimore, uh, what it means to, to follow Christ and to, to be a healthy church in this context. If you do have the secrets, please stop hoarding them. Please share them for everybody else. Uh, but rather we get to just kind of link arms together and say, all right, let's, let's do this. Uh, let's, let's go after faithfulness to Christ. Let's go after uh, participation in his mission and just uh, serving one another as, uh, as gospel people. And so uh, it's just, uh, like I said, it's just super encouraging. I'm reminded of uh, how many of Paul's letters are written with this personal touch uh, back home, we're, we're going through First Thessalonians, and it's striking, even in First Thessalonians, how much energy Paul went to just to get word of how the Thessalonians' faith was. And uh, man, just in our, our day and age with, with communication, but also travel, it is so much joy. Like, it's just such a joy to be able to come and not just hear how the gospel is taking root in this faith family, but to, to be able to see and hear and learn from you guys and be encouraged. So uh, I'm just, I'm thankful to the Lord for, for the opportunity. Um, when your pastors asked if I, uh, I would be interested in coming up and, and filling in uh, this week, I just said, what, you know, what would be helpful? What were you guys preaching through? And uh, Adam didn't want me to take any of the controversial texts in First Timothy. So uh, he just said, whatever. He, he we said, take a softball, you know. Um, and, uh, and so it really just whatever would be encouraging. And uh, since I don't know everything that you guys are going through, I don't feel like I need to address any particular issue. I said, what, what is it that we can authoritatively talk about uh, will be both encouraging to and, and edifying to all of us. Uh, and I think it was let's just marinate on the gospel uh, in uh, one way or another. And so my mind just when I think about that is how can we just see the gospel kind of take root and how can we just rejoice in it? One of my favorite texts to do that in is... Is, is Luke chapter 19 and the story of, of this wee little man named Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus is uh, just a, such an interesting figure. I think if you, are, uh, if you grew up around the church, uh, then you're probably familiar with him. If you're not, if you're not familiar, uh, if you didn't grow up around the church, uh, there might be, Zacchaeus might just seem like a totally obscure person to you. Uh, and that's not without reason. Zacchaeus is not like a historically consequential person. He is not somebody that, you know, there's this long line of Zacchaeites somewhere in the mountains or something like that, uh, where, you know, they started with, the, you know, their founder, Zacchaeus. Uh, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, he, he doesn't pop up again. He's not a recurring character. He's not somebody that begins to follow Jesus and, and then the, the drama continues to, uh, continues to unfold. This is it. This is what we get out of Zacchaeus. Ten little verses in Luke chapter 19. And yet, if, if, you, if you did grow up in the church, like I said, you, you probably are quite familiar. And we're probably all quite familiar with Zacchaeus for one primary reason, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a... 
Okay, you good. I, w I wasn't sure some of you guys. Good. Uh, we won't keep going. I just want to make sure, see who I'm talking to. There was faint participation uh, by you guys. Lack of, not real confident, okay? Uh, so if we did it again, I would expect some more vigor, but I'll, I'll give you a pass, okay? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree before the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said... Or I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Is there? You know, it goes on. All right. Uh, so it just tells this story of Zacchaeus in the little jingle. It's quite, quite catchy. Uh, but I, I, think, I think not just the, 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 the jingle is some, a reason that we're, we, we kind of are drawn to Zacchaeus or we remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is somebody that we can relate to in a lot of different ways, right? Especially, again, if you grew up in a church context, he's somebody that you can relate to as a child, right? For one very obvious reason. Zacchaeus was a little person. He was small. He was short in stature. And if you're a kid, you're like, this guy gets it, right? It's hard to be a follower of Jesus when you are short, okay? Now, I wouldn't make too broad a theological statements about that, but there's just this reality of if you're, a, if you're a kid walking around and you're walking around maybe just the church gathering or whatever, everybody else is just doing this and you're having to do this, Okay? Uh, there's a certain, there's a certain uh, little bit of, of, of resonance you have with, with poor little Zacchaeus. He is a, a beloved character and, and a beloved story because he's a, he's a very relatable guy. He's somebody that we can relate to, not just on simple kind of ways of, of uh, you know, he's short and I'm short or something like that. Although, kids, if you find yourself liking Zacchaeus, that's great. This is a great story. It's a great text, and I think you should like it, okay? Uh, but beyond that, he's relatable in a couple other ways. He's relatable in part because this is a very simple story. This is, very, this is not a complex passage of Scripture. Uh, this is probably the, the text of Scripture I've preached more than any other text in my life, and I've tried to do it like eight different ways. And a lot of times I've tried to structure it with, you know, these complex ideas and thoughts and segments and stuff like that. And it doesn't really work. You know why? Because it's not a very complex text. It's a very simple story. It's very easy to understand. Like, if you're first reading through it and you're like, I think I know what's going on here, I am not going to, like, correct your understanding. It's, what you see is what you get. It's very simple it's very relatable, but we can also relate to Zacchaeus because we can see that Zacchaeus is not necessarily the best guy in the world, and we'll get more into that in just a second, but Zacchaeus needs some kind of transformation in his life, doesn't he? He needs help. He needs rescue. He needs love. He needs to be accepted to belong. We all can look at Zacchaeus, and I think we are meant to, to kind of be drawn in and to see ourselves in this wee little man and to see him in us. This is a very simple story, but it's not just a simple story about a wee little man. It's a simple story about a big sinner that's loved and is redeemed by an amazing Savior. This is not primarily a story about Zacchaeus. It's a story about Zacchaeus's rescuer. And that's why I think it's a perfect text for us to use even today as we just want to reflect and marinate on the gospel. I really only have one point for you today, and it's not even a point. It's just the main idea, and it's, it's one verse. I have one verse for you today. It's verse 10. This is what this text is all about. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The gospel is the good news, the message that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what this is about. That's what this good news is about. That's why we worship him. That's why we gather together. That's why we rearrange our lives is because Jesus is a great savior who came to seek and save the lost. And our lives have been transformed by this great savior. That is the good news of the gospel. In this story, Zacchaeus is clearly lost. He's a, a wicked man, as we'll get into more in just a second. And we are meant to identify him, with him, not just in his simplicity, not just in his shortness of stature, but in his lostness. We see our own lostness. We see our own wandering. We see our own distance. And we see that we too are longing for some kind of rescue. And the message of Luke 19 is good news. The Son of Man came to seek and to save people like you and people like me. 
There is a Savior who knows that we are lost. And that is precisely why He came, to seek us out and to save us. Friend, you, you might be lost this morning. You might feel like you are uh, distant, maybe marginalized. You might feel like you are unloved. You can't point to anybody in your life right now that you point, this is the person who is who's accepting me for who I am, who is loving me regardless of all my warts and all my difficulties and all my sinfulness. You might feel like you're unlovable. The reason you don't receive that love is because you feel your own wickedness and your own rebellion and your own sinfulness. You might feel small, insignificant, cast aside, looked over. And if you don't, I could say two things. One, you probably will at some point. And two, you probably know somebody who does. This story is for you. This story is for us. This story is a reminder, if you are a Christian, the state you came from, the state you were found in, the rescue that you have received. It's so interesting that we as Christians can find ourselves bored with our salvation. And the story of Zacchaeus is a reminder here. This was you. This is you. And the thing that has made all the difference in the world is verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why you're at where you're at right now. It's not because you were better than everybody else. You, were, you did this Christianity thing. You went to more church services. You discipled more people. You read your Bible more. That is not why you're at. Where you're, why you are where you are right now. You are where you are right now, Christian. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is a passage about the gospel. It's a passage about us. And it is a, about, a passage about our great Savior. Who came to seek and to save us. Rather than trying to structure this text, what, what I'd rather us do is just to kind of swim in it a little bit. Let's just have fun with it. Let's just make some observations. I've got six observations from this text. It's not just linearly walking through it. I just want us to kind of reckon with what is presented with us in these, these ten very simple verses for the most part. How is it that the gospel is presented to us in this story? Six observations. The first one is this. I want us to notice that the gospel is good news even for the worst of sinners and the most difficult to save. The gospel is good news even for the worst of sinners and even for the most difficult people to save. Right at the beginning in verse 2, Luke tells us, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, when you're introducing someone, I just got a very nice introduction. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate that. Um, you got to know a little bit of information from, it, from me. But I appreciate that Adam did not begin his introduction with, let us consider the list of Shane's worst sins. Okay? That was very kind to me. It wouldn't necessarily have been an inaccurate introduction. It just would have been a little hurtful. Zacchaeus gets kind of a raw introduction, doesn't he? What does he say? Zacchaeus, he had, you know, a wife and two kids. He was from the land of Galilee or wherever he was. No, 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 no. Here's the two things you need to know about Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And he was rich. Tax collectors in the New Testament world were not just... Uh, he was not just notice, notifying us of his profession. He was notifying us of his character. He was notifying us of his posture towards his brothers and sisters. See, what's going on here, what's behind that, that brief phrase, the, the chief tax collector, is that uh, this is a man who was helping an oppressive Roman government push down, control, defeat his own brothers and sisters, his own kindred people. See, Zacchaeus was a, a, a Jew who was helping the Roman government, who kind of had a, uh, an, an empire kind of all around uh, kind of the known world at this time. Their empire spread far and wide, and they, they set up these kind of regional governments to control the local people. But what they needed in their control of the local people were people who to, were going to help kind of collect the taxes. And so they enlisted traitors. They enlisted their own people. Zacchaeus was a member of the Jewish community who raised his hand and said, Romans, oppressors, I'll help you out. 
I got your back. Let me show you how this works. Tax collectors in the, the language and the kind of the spirit of the New Testament and, and what, what we're given here in Luke chapter 19 is supposed to elicit a visceral reaction from us. He was a tax collector. And if we were all feeling that appropriately, we would go, Ugh, you know, something along those lines. It was supposed to be this, this, oh, are you kidding me? That kind of guy? The worst of sinners. This man had the opportunity to side with his people or to side with his oppressors. And instead of siding with his people, he raised his hand and he said, oppressors, I will help you oppress my people, my friends, my family, my kindred. Over and over and over again, tax collectors pop up in the gospels. And here's what's interesting. It is always meant to do at least a couple things. One is to bring out that reaction. A tax collector? Are you serious? But then they're always presented consistently, and especially in the Gospel of Luke, as simultaneously the worst of the worst, and yet, and we have to get this, and yet still within the grasp of Jesus' salvation. Don't, don't let the story of Zacchaeus and the way you know it ends loosen the grip on how ugly it begins. He is a tax collector, the worst of the worst. You can see this in a couple other places. In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is calling his first disciples, one of the guys he calls is a man named Levi, who was a tax collector. And once again, in Luke chapter 5, everybody goes, You've you got 12 guys that you want to be your posse, your crowd, your people, your boys. And you want one of them to be a tax collector? And in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He does not correct them. Notice he does not correct them and say, he's not that bad. You just need to get to know him. He's misunderstood. He's had a hard life. That's not what he says. They say tax collector. He's like, yeah, I know, right? This is who I came for. The gospel is good news even for the worst of sinners. But it's not only for the worst of sinners like the tax collector. It's good news for the most difficult people to save. I mean, if anybody was going to be difficult to save, it was going to be the person who was getting rich off of his tax collecting, right? But I want you to see, if you want to turn just, just one, one page back probably to Luke chapter 18. I think that Luke telling us that, that Zacchaeus was rich was not just a coincidence. It was not just like this, uh, oh, by the way, he, he, had, he was loaded. This is right on the heels of Luke telling us the story of Jesus' encounter with a rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus. You can see this in 18, chapter 18, verse 18. The ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Mother, he's just rattling off all the commands. This is, this is what it looks like to follow God. And the rich young ruler says, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus heard this. He said to him, okay, here's one thing. Go sell everything you've got and follow me. Verse 23, the ruler says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. And then Jesus makes the, draws the conclusion. See, it's really, really, really hard for someone with a lot of wealth to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not because riches disqualify you or are inherently sinful. He was saying that riches, wealth, has a particularly dangerous effect in our lives. Where we are drawn to trust in the things that we've got, the wealth that we have, instead of trusting in God, who he is, what he has done. Wealth is dangerous, according to Jesus. And he said it's really hard for someone who has a lot of wealth to get to the place where they trust in what they need to trust in. In order to receive salvation. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Two strikes against this man. Both presented to us to show us that this encounter with this wee little man was not just fodder for a cutesy jingle. 
Rather, this is a man who represents those who are the worst of the worst and the most difficult to save. And again, friend, we are meant to find ourselves in this. If you're not a Christian in the room, if you've just been, you know, you're just checking out this, this Christianity thing, or you're just trying to, to turn over a new leaf, or you're just trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, I just want to let you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christianity, is not for people who have everything put together, have all their ducks in a row. What this text is telling us for is that Jesus came for the worst of the worst and the ones who are most difficult to save. And I'm just here to tell you, I do not know where you have come from. I do not know what you have done. I do not know what has monopolized your thought life. I want to tell you, there is nothing that you can find there that will scare away this Jesus. There is nothing... And I, and I know we don't want to glory in our sinfulness. There's like a weird tendency, especially that millennials have, where it's like, I'm just trying to be authentic. Here's all my garbage or whatever. And we end up kind of like celebrating. No offense, I'm one of you. Uh, we would just like celebrate how wicked we are. But deep down inside, we know here is all the ugly stuff. And I just want to present to you Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst, the most difficult to save. And Jesus is saying, that's my guy. And that might be where you are this morning. That might be your story. Is you, you don't just feel like you're the worst of the worst. You know it. You know it. Zacchaeus shows us that the gospel is good news. Let that sink in. Whatever is coming to your mind right now when you're thinking about your own life, that worst of the worst, that low point, the gospel is good news for you today. You can stand up and say, I'm the worst of the worst, and we can say, the gospel is good news for you. I'm the hardest to save for whatever reason, where you've come from, what you've done, the great wealth that you have, the sin that you're wrestling with right now. You could be the most difficult to save. The gospel is good news even for you. You know how I know that? Because the gospel comes to a man like Zacchaeus. And the gospel comes to a man like me. Christian, if you're in this room, well, obviously, you are in this room. Okay, Christian. All right, fix that. We'll fix it in post. Uh... Christian, don't forget, the gospel came to you as good news at your lowest news, at your lowest point, the Lord knowing all of what you had done, all of who you are, all of what you continue to struggle with, the gospel came to you at that point with good news. And now you have the privilege of taking and receiving and going into this city and around the nations. I, I don't know who all you know. I guarantee you, if I were to ask you, who are the people in your life who might be the worst of sinners? And maybe more appropriately, who do you think is the most difficult to save right now? You know people. They're incredibly secularized. They're completely rejected the faith that they were exposed to as, uh, as, a, uh, as a, a child or something like that. They're embracing an entirely uh, uh, different religion altogether that rejects Christianity outright. They see the, the gospel and the Bible as something that is simple and ancient and for just uh, kind of sheeple. The gospel is good news for the worst of sinners and the most difficult to save. And I'm just here to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Baltimore. Jesus came to seek and save that kind of person. And I am convinced he has many people in this city that this gospel is going to be good news for. The gospel is good news for even the worst of sinners and the most difficult to save. Just like Zacchaeus. Second thing, we'll go faster than that. The second thing is that the gospel comes to us primarily as an encounter with the Lord Jesus. It comes to us primarily as an encounter with the Lord Jesus. Look in verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. What I want you to see in this passage is the, the extent to which Zacchaeus was content to engage Jesus at a distance. He wanted to see, verse 3, who Jesus was. He had heard about this miracle worker, this man who teaches with authority, this man who's got crowds following him. I just, I just got to set my eyes on him. I, I just need to see who he was. Zacchaeus wanted some of Jesus. You know where he wanted him? He just wanted him at arm's, arm's length. And Jesus is having none of that. I love it. I love what's happening here. Jesus 
is having none of that. Zacchaeus just wanted to see who Jesus was. Jesus wants to know Zacchaeus. He wants to encounter him. He wants to share a meal with him. I am convinced of this, that there are two kinds of people in this world. Okay? Anything that starts off like that is ridiculous on its face, but just allow me this rhetorical move. Okay? Uh, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are, first and foremost, those kinds of people who go into a restaurant and look up at the waiter or the waitress and say, what do you recommend? And then they say, I'll have that. Just out of curiosity, how many, how many of you are in Among Us? Okay. You guys are not as proud as you should be about, about this, okay? But I, okay? The second group of people are the people who are horrified at that first group of people, okay? You are monsters, the first group of people, okay? That is an abomination. Um, I'm among the second group of people. The rest of you guys, how many, how many of you guys are there, right? You would just never dream of doing that, okay? I appreciate you. Uh, you're correct, by the way. Uh, no, uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the great privileges of this stage of my life is I get to serve next to a guy named uh, Donnie. I say next to, alongside uh, uh, in pastoral ministry with a guy named Donnie. He's our, our worship pastor. And Donnie and I could not be more different people. I, Donnie's been up here uh, before to, to be with you guys. Donnie and I could not be more difficult pe- or different people. Donnie and I are really, really good friends, uh, but not because it's like, oh man, you too? Like, we, we have a lot in common. Donnie and I love each other be- in the same way that like a scientist enjoys studying a weird specimen, right? It's like, you're interesting, you know? Not like I understand you, uh, but like, oh, okay. There are people like that, okay? And so that's the relationship that Donnie and I have. Donnie is the first group of people, and I am the second. We would be traveling somewhere, and Donnie sits down at a restaurant and says, hey, what do you recommend? I'll go with that. And I'm just looking mortified. Like, what is wrong with you? Are you a psycho? And he'll look at me and say, I bet I know what you're going to get. And he just scans the menu, and he finds a burrito, and he's like, you're going to get a burrito. And I'm like, I wish that wasn't true. But it's totally true. I was going to get the burrito, okay? So here's my point. There are some people who are really content just watching other people experience life. That's me. And then there's some people who like want to dive head first and like experience things. Okay, I don't understand you people who are experiencers. Leave us alone, okay? You guys, you guys tracking with me? All right, here's why I tell you all that. I think that is a good contrast of what's going on here. Zacchaeus doesn't need to meet Jesus. He just wants to know who he is. I just needed to check him out. I just wanted to dabble. I just wanted to, to, to learn a little bit more. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not going to work. That's not how the gospel comes. That's not how I come to you. Instead, the gospel comes to us primarily not as a kind of set of theological truths for us to assent to or agree to or to check off a list or to memorize. But instead, it comes to us as a person named Jesus. And he doesn't just say, here I am over here. He says, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to set up shop. We're going to talk. We're going to know one another. We're going to, to be in one another's lives. We, friends, we cannot simply know about Jesus. We have to engage the person of Jesus, be engaged by the person of Jesus, come into some kind of uh, confrontation, some kind of loving confrontation with the person of Jesus, and the gospel comes to us, and when we have that, that encounter with the person of Jesus, everything changes. Everything about us changes. This is... The good news of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus does not want you to just know about him. He doesn't want you just to memorize truths about him. He doesn't want you just to kind of have all of your theological ducks in a row. He wants to know you. And he wants to be known by you. You must have an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And this is really what we're doing when we're talking about our evangelism, right? If you're a Christian and you want to to share the gospel with your friend, you are not just just saying, hey, here's a list of truths that I found interesting. What we are doing in our evangelism is saying, I have been met by and transformed by the living person, Jesus Christ, and I think you should meet him. That's what we're doing in our evangelism, and that's so freeing, isn't it? 
Because a lot of times in our evangelism, we feel like we've got to line up all the doctrinal truths and make all the arguments. But really what we are doing in our evangelism is just saying, you've got to meet this man who transformed my life. That's the story of the woman at the well, isn't it? She met Jesus at the well. She has this strange dialogue about living water. She's not really sure what's going on, but her life is transformed. And she goes back and she says, you got to meet this guy. I don't have all the answers, but I've met Jesus and I think you should meet him too. That's what we're doing in our evangelism. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul on the road to Emmaus, right? He's going about his business, persecuting the church. Jesus, boom, comes in, bright light, meets, has this encounter with the Apostle Paul. And for the rest of his life, the Apostle Paul, his entire life is transformed. The whole trajectory of it. And he spends his whole life saying, you've got to meet this Jesus. I have met him. I have been transformed by him. He's changed everything about me. His love for me, his kindness, his mercy has changed me. I would love for you to meet him too. That's what we're doing in our evangelism. This is what we're also doing just in our spirituality, our walking, and the, living out the Christian life, is we are not following a new list of rules as Jesus' people. We are walking with a person. I mean, just, just to be clear what we're talking about we're talking about the gospel coming to somebody we are talking about the message that god so loved the world that he sent his only son to live the life that you and i could not live to die the death of of punishment that you and i deserve for our own sinfulness and and didn't stay dead it's kind of the, the plot twist there he rose from the dead and he did not die again And he still lives today. 2001, Baltimore, Maryland. Jesus lives. And the gospel that we present is an opportunity to have an encounter with the living Lord Jesus. The Christian life that we live is walking with the living Lord Jesus in a daily ongoing way where we are constantly in his presence engaging a person walking with him in obedience and faith this is the gospel that comes to us in good news it does not come to us primarily as as platitudes or kind of bumper stickers or theological truths the gospel comes to us in a person and it's that person that we proclaim and it's that person that we receive and it's that person that we walk with as jesus's people so the gospel comes to us primarily as, as an encounter. That's what happens with Zacchaeus. He, he wants to stay far off, but Jesus says, no, that's not going to work. I'm coming to your house. Notice number three, who is seeking whom? I'm always, every time I say that, I'm not sure about the grammar of that statement, but I think it's correct. Notice who is seeking whom in this passage. If you look in verse three, notice the, the eyes language, the, the, the vision language. Sorry, the tripping on my words there. Notice the vision language. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So in verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. We, are, we begin this story under the impression that Zacchaeus is on a mission, right? That he wants Jesus. Now we talk about whether he wants to know him or stand far off, and we can set that to a side. We are presented with this image that Zacchaeus has something he wants to accomplish. He wants to see Jesus, and so he's seeking after that. But in verse 10, Luke flipped the scripts, flips the script. Jesus flips the script and says, All along you thought Zacchaeus was doing the looking, but that ain't it. Verse 10, the Son of Man came to, to do what? Some of you guys are getting there. Seek. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus said, you thought this whole thing was about Zacchaeus looking after me. That's not what was happening here. I came for Zacchaeus. I'm the one who came after him. In the gospel, we become the object of God's great seeking mission. He is coming after us. Now, let's be clear. This is not like a national treasure seeking you know, uh, there's probably a more up-to-date uh, uh, you know, movie there. But you get the idea. Where like, I'm figuring out clues. I'm going through obstacles so that at the end I get this treasure and I get blessed by all the gold or something like that. That is not the kind of seeking. We're like, lucky Jesus, if he finds us. That's not the kind of seeking. The kind of seeking is more like saving private Ryan seeking. 
There is a captive. There is one who is suffering, who is hurting, who is alone. And the Lord Jesus seeks us out. He says, Zacchaeus is not the one who is looking for me. I am the one who launched this great rescue mission for him. The gospel is God's great rescue mission. He thought he was looking for Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm the one who was sent to seek. I will do the seeking here, if you please. And for the Christian, this should overflow in our hearts with thankfulness. Christian, you have life eternal because the God of the universe sought you out. He launched a rescue mission. And he came after you. And it worked. I mean, what a joy. How amazing is that? The God of all creation saw you in your rebellion, the worst of sinners, the most difficult to save. And he says, I'm going after him. And it worked. He wooed you. He convicted you of your, of your sin. He showed you his own glory. He lifted the veil from your eyes and said, I am here. I love you. I've done everything for you. Receive me. And he got you, Christian. If you're not a Christian, I just want to ask one very simple thing. I don't know why you are here or why you're watching this wherever you are. I just want to at least ask the question, could it be that even now, as you are on your own spiritual journey, seeking after, looking for truth, looking for a way of life, whatever it is you're looking for, that you're not actually doing the seeking right now? We firmly believe, we confess, we believe that there is a God who is real, who seeks and saves the lost. And I just want you to at least consider whether or not this living God is seeking you out and he's presenting you with this message of his beloved son and saying, I've done everything for you. I've come after you in every way. I've lived your life that you should have lived. I've died the death that you deserve. I've beaten the death that you are destined for because of your sin so that I can have you. Could it be that even today he is inviting you just as he inviting Zacchaeus? I want to know you. I want you. He's coming after you. Notice in this passage who is seeking whom. Fourth, notice the ugliness of self-righteousness. I just want you to notice how ugly self-righteousness is in this text. In verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. This is the religious leaders. They look at, God, at Jesus walking by. They see Zacchaeus and they say, uh, they see that Jesus reaches out to Zacchaeus and he's going to go to his house. And, and they're, just, they're just amazed. They're disgusted by this. They are disgusted by Jesus and we are meant to be disgusted by them. Their self-righteousness here is supposed to be something that we just recoil at and say, nah, I don't want to be like that. But the problem is, it is a recurring theme in the New Testament and in Luke's gospel in particular, the self-righteousness of the religious rulers who see Jesus's kindness to the worst of sinners and the most difficult to save, and they turn their nose up at it, and they say, nah, we don't want that. They, they have an allergy to grace. They are they're allergic to the kindness of God towards the undeserving. And it is such a problem in so many of our hearts where we imagine we are not the worst of sinners and we are not that difficult to save. And so when God goes after people who are quote-unquote worse than us, we are offended by it. What, what about me? I'm better than them. I'm not as bad as them. I'm easier to save of, uh, uh, than they are. What about me? And it's this kind of self-righteousness that prevents us and prevents them from receiving the gospel in the same way that Zacchaeus does. Because they do not see themselves as the worst of sinners, they do not see themselves as the most difficult to save, they instead say, I deserve better than this. And because of that, when Jesus extends the grace and says, I've done everything for you, they say, no, I'll take care of it. This is the problem of religiosity. This is the problem of self-righteousness. Is It imagines that we got it taken care of. And we, when Jesus says, no, you don't, we just come back with, yes, I do. And it prevents us from receiving the grace of God in the gospel. Not only does it prevent us from receiving the grace of God in the gospel, it prevents us from extending the grace of God in the gospel. Self-righteous people are not just self-righteous for themselves. They're self-righteous towards everybody else. 
in a, 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 a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be by a guy named Cornelius Plantinga Jr. It's one of my favorite books, if for no other reason than the author's name. He writes about sin. It's just a book on sin, which is not very uplifting, but it is a really good book. Um, he talks about the very various aspects of sin. And he talks about the difference between jealousy and envy. Whereas jealousy is looking at somebody who has something and saying, I want that. Envy is much uglier. Because it just looks at somebody who has and says, I don't want you to have it. I don't care if I get it. I just want to make sure you don't get it. And I think we got something like that going on here with the, the people who are looking at Zacchaeus and saying, that guy? They're not even saying, pick me instead. They're just saying, don't pick him. It's, it's ugly. It's wretched. It's wicked. And we are meant to see that there is, there is one group of, there's one person here who receives salvation. And he receives salvation by coming down. And there's another group of people who will not get off of their high horses. And instead, they remain on the outside looking in of this gospel story. They do not get to experience the saving grace of Jesus in the same way that Zacchaeus does. And it's not because they're worse people than he is. It's because they're self-righteous people. Friend, the gospel comes to us not just in, you know, despite us being the worst of sinners. The gospel comes to us because we are the worst of sinners. And we recognize it and we admit it and we receive it and say, this whole thing is not because I deserve any of it from Jesus. But it's because of his grace and its kindness. But the one thing that will prevent us from being able to get there is that little hint in our hearts and our minds saying, you're not that bad. You don't really need the grace that much. Self-righteousness is ugly in this passage. It's meant to be ugly. It shows us, Luke is trying to, to present it as ugly. Last two things. Uh, notice fifth, that the response to the gospel, and I think we can encapsulate it in three three words, faith, obedience, and repentance. Notice in verse 5 that Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said to Zacchaeus three things, right? Hurry, come down. I must go to your house today. Verse 6, notice what happens. He hurried, he came down, and he received him. Zacchaeus's response to the gospel encountering him in the person of Jesus is first and foremost, excuse me, don't judge my McDonald's cup, um, is first and foremost to, to believe what Jesus is saying. It's to receive it. It's similar to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, where you have like Abraham who left his homeland. Why? Because God said, do this. He didn't understand why. He didn't know where he was going. God just said, do this. And Abraham believed God. He trusted God and he lived a life of faith. I think that's at least implicit in this passage where Jesus says, come down. I want to go to your house today. And Zacchaeus doesn't go, I don't know. I've got this thing later or anything like that. He says, wait, okay, let's do it. He receives, he, he believes Jesus. And then he responds in obedience, right? The, the obedience is explicit. Hurry, come down. I'm going to your house. And despite the fact that, I mean, I don't know, Zacchaeus might be an introvert like me, horrified, right? I, like, tonight, I need to prep. I need a week to prep for this. No, Zacchaeus says, today I'm coming to your, or sorry, Jesus says, today I'm going to your house. Zacchaeus is like, let's do this. To, the obedience is, is laid out. He, he believes Jesus. He obeys Jesus. And then not only does he do that, he repents. The transforming response, or the, the gospel transforms him and he responds to that gospel coming to him, the kindness of God in repentance. You see it in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and, I have, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything. I love how he injects the if in there. If I've done anything wrong. No, if I've, if I've defrauded anyone of anybody, I restore it full, fourfold. This is an excellent picture of repentance for a couple reasons. One, it shows us that Zacchaeus' repentance is a response to the gospel coming to him. It is a response to grace. It is not an earning of grace. Jesus does not say, here's your list of things if you want me to come to your house. He says, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus says, this changes everything. That's how repentance works. That's, unbeliever, that's how repentance works. Jesus loves you and then he transforms you. He does not say, clean yourself up and come to me. He comes to you and he changes everything. Christian, still wrestling with sin, still the ongoing battle of sin in your life. This is how repentance works. Because you are now the recipient of Jesus's like 
everlasting love and grace for you. It leads to a life of transformation. It is a response to his kindness. You will never earn his love because you don't have to. But his love comes to you and it changes everything and it leads to a response of grace. So this, this is a response of repentance. And that repentance, again, is a response to grace. It's also tangible. It looks like something. You, you notice that in this passage? What is, how do we know that Zacchaeus is repentant? I mean, he says right here, I've, got, I've become wealthy off of my rebellion, off of my wickedness. I'm giving away half of everything I've got. I've cheated all of my brothers and sisters. I'm restoring it fourfold. That is what genuine gospel repentance looks like. It manifests in some way. A lot of times, if you're like me, I'm not going to lie. Here's what I want repentance to look like. I'm really sorry, Lord. I'm not going to do it next time. Zacchaeus, the grace of God, encounters him. And he's so secure in that grace. He's so settled in that grace. He's so happy about that grace. That he responds and says, I am going to cut out this rebellion that is in me. I'm going to go to war with it in my soul. And it's going to look like this. I just kind of give that to you as a very practical, that's what repentance looks like. Okay? Now, sixth, notice the effect of the gospel. His response to the gospel was faith and obedience and repentance. But I want you to see the effect of the gospel in his life. It's in verse 6. He hurried... And he came down and he received him joyfully. This is the effect of the gospel in a sinner's life transformed. It is not woe is me. It is not I'm the worst of the worst. It is not being downtrodden. It is not feeling so wicked you're beyond salvation. It is joy because the message of the gospel is yes you are all those things but Jesus loves you anyway he has done everything for you anyway and he wants to come to your house today anyway and Zacchaeus has the opportunity to experience that love and kindness and the effect it has on his life is joy I mean I can't help but think this is kind of sanctified imagination here I cannot help but think that Zacchaeus was a miserable person Suffering under the weight of his own sin, his own rebellion. And we just need to know, people who are in rebellion and sin against God are not just sinners, defiant. They, there's real suffering at our, the weight, under the weight of our own sin and rebellion that happens. And when Jesus is saying, not only do I see all of that and love you anyway, I can give you a path out of that. You know what the effect of that in our lives is? Joy. It's not ease, it's not comfort, it's not even safety, but it's joy. I am fully known and loved nonetheless. I am wicked and twisted. But the God who saved me, who created me, has committed to turn my life around. That leads to joy in our lives. And this is why I think, again, going back to our evangelism, I think it's such good news for us because we are not peddling gospel truths as in like, hey, I've got these uh, this ideas over here. You want to consider? No, it's cool. Okay, fine, whatever. You know, that, is not evan- that is not how we do evangelism. What we do evangelism is we say, my life has been fundamentally changed by a loving and gracious living God. I want this for you. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm not trying to make a buck. I am trying to give you joy everlasting. I want to introduce you to this Jesus. It gives compassion for our lost friends. It gives us a love for them. It wants people to experience the same thing we've experienced. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. Just with Netflix shows. You know what I'm talking about, right? Have you seen fill in the blank? I could probably just say, what's your show right now? How many of you guys have, have told somebody about it? And the, all of us. The gospel has that effect on us. The joy that we get from knowing Jesus is something we just want to say, hey, you want in on this? Let me conclude with the last verse that we haven't really talked about. Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. It's a little bit of a strange, it's a little bit of a strange verse, but I, I want you to, I want to point it out because I want you to see uh, that Jesus is not saying uh, basically that, that Zacchaeus did anything to earn his love. He's saying that, that his earthly ministry was focused on the Jews. Zacchaeus was a Jew. This man is qualified. 
This is, this is who Jesus came for. He's saying, this is, the, this is why I came. This picture of repentance, this picture of salvation right here. Salvation has come here because I came for this man. It shows us that Jesus is mighty to save everyone he sets out to save. Everyone he goes after, he gets them. And we need to recognize that this story of Zacchaeus is, if you go back to verse 1, as he was as he was passing through Jericho. Jericho was just a pit stop. It wasn't even an intended pit stop. Zacchaeus just derailed things. The reason he stopped in Zacchaeus is because of all these events. He was just going through. You know where he was going? He was going to Jerusalem. And he was going to a cross. And we could take that principle that Jesus tells us about in verse 9. Everyone he came to save, he gets. He came for the people of Israel and he got them. But at the cross, the cross reminds us that the mission of God was not going to be limited to Israel. The cross was a, an exploding of the scope of God's saving activity beyond the nation of Israel, going to all peoples, all nations, every tribe, language, people. All of them were going to be the recipients of this saving grace, this gospel encounter, this loving Savior. And friends, that's the hope for you and me. We are... If you are in Christ, we are the recipients of a rescuing, saving God, going after his people. And he gets them. That's the message of the gospel for us. That's the message of his love for us, his kindness for us. Salvation has come to this house because at the cross, the Son of God died for the sins of the world. And you and I, the worst of the worst, the most difficult to save, just like Zacchaeus, content to stand far off, the God of all creation says, no, 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 come on. I want more than that. I want more. Praise God for his love and his kindness for us. And may he use us to extend and proclaim this love for others. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Thank you for your, your kindness, uh, not just to, um, to let us see you, Lord, but to want to know us and to, to love us and to press in towards us. So, Father, we, we ask that even this morning uh, you would uh, give us a fresh uh, reminder of your grace. May we, like Zacchaeus, be joyfully surprised at your kindness towards us. And may we take this message, this gospel message, and go to those who right now are the, the worst of the worst, the sinners of all sinners, the most difficult to save. And may we present to them a loving Jesus who is ready and able, willing to save. God, help us to be faithful ambassadors and declarers and evangelists for this great news. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church Podcast.